Good morning. You know, every time I do one of these video recordings, I automatically want to say, good to see you. But obviously, I'm recording this earlier. It's Tuesday, uh, June 8th. It'll be shown this coming Sunday, June 13th. So, great to see you is not does not really fit the bill here. Let me just say, thank you for being here, and thank you for uh, joining us for our worship. We've been doing a series entitled, Jesus Said, and today I get to speak and address perhaps the most famous saying of his uh, ever. Uh, when you go to an athletic event, you will see people invariably holding up a placard that says, John 3.16. You will see cars with bumper stickers saying, John 3.16. Billboards, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We hear that, or we've heard that. Whether you're a disciple, or whether you're not even a believer, that may sound familiar there. But, but what does it mean? You know, we just finished taking up our special contribution. And, uh, you know, once a year we save up and we uh, give a lot more than we normally do on a weekly basis. But this is specifically to help works all over the world as well as locally. It's because of that scripture that we do that, of that saying of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved that's the initiating love of God. The world, that's the scope of the love of God that he gave his one and only son. That's the intensity of the love of God. But on a day-to-day -day basis, what does that mean to you and to me? I'm going to change the saying just slightly. I'm going to make it more of a personal saying. Instead of, uh, for God so loved the world, we know that that includes all nations, tribes, cultures. Let's just bring it down to us right here. And let's say, for God so loved us that he gave his one and only son. You know what that means? That means that our past, our present, and our future are taken care of. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that our past would be forgiven. There's a scene in a movie, uh, the movie Unforgiven, a Clint Eastwood movie, 20-some years old. And basically, Clint Eastwood is a reformed gunfighter. Uh, and yet, he is out of money, he's a widower, uh, his kids uh, need food, so he decides to hire himself out, even though he's quit that life. He finds out that there's a bad man that's done some really bad things and people want to hire a gunslinger to come and exact revenge. So reluctantly he decides, I need the money, it's a bad guy, bad guy, let me go do it. He and his friend Morgan Freeman go to do this. They're joined by a young gunslinger that's a braggart. He's talking about all the people he's killed and how tough he is and this, that, and the other. Well, long story short, the young guy is the guy that actually goes and kills this bad man. 
And there's a scene after that, because what happens, the man's friends come and they grab Clint's friend, torture and kill him. So now Clint is going over the edge. And what he said is whenever he would drink in the past, he would become a cold-blooded killer. And he hasn't drank, he tried to reform himself, but now because of what's happened, he starts drinking. And he's sitting there drinking, and this young gunslinger is trying to deal with the guilt. And the truth comes out, he's never killed anyone. And so he's trying to justify it. He's trying to figure out how to deal with all the guilt that he's feeling. And he says his statement. He looks at Clint. He goes, I, I guess he, the other guy, had it coming. Well, I guess they had it coming. And Clint Eastwood keeps drinking and says, we all got it coming. We all have it coming, Captain. What's happened right there is something that happens to all of us. When in our past we've done things we deeply regret, we've done things we wish we could go back and do different, we try and ignore it, we try and not, you know, escape it. What's going on? I want to read an excerpt from... Um, a book by Daniel Hill, and in this he's quoting Brene Brown, and she's making the distinction between guilt and shame. And she says, you know, guilt's a good thing in that, hey, I feel guilty, I need to change. It can motivate you to change. But if you don't change, something takes over shame. And listen to what she says about this. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Shame is the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that something we've done or failed to do, an ideal that we've not lived up to, or a goal that we've not accomplished, makes us unworthy of connection. I'm not worthy or good enough for love, belonging, or connection. I'm unlovable. I don't belong. We all got it coming. We find ourselves feeling things like that. I'm unlovable. We look at our character and we see that the things we've done seem to stick with us. They have an impact on us and we feel stuck. We try and just ignore our past, but we're afraid somebody may find out. Or even if they don't find out, how do we live with the fact that I tried to be, but I was not. And sometimes we try and deal with that by just lowering the standard of what's right and wrong. But even then, we don't feel great about that. And maybe those thoughts, we all got it coming. God so loved us that he gave his one only son that all of our past can be forgiven. In Romans chapter 5, you see... At just the right time, this is verse 6, when we were still, still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to stop and think about all of the descriptions of us that's in that passage. 
We were ungodly. We were enemies. We were sinners. We were powerless. And yet, when we were like that, Christ died for us. He did not wait until we were lovable, until we were worthy. We may feel like, I'm not worthy to be loved. He doesn't care. You and I are loved. He wants to forgive our past. He goes to the cross. He faces the worst that evil can do to him. And he's raised from the dead so that anyone who comes to him will live a new life. And our past will be forgiven. We see our sins as reasons to accuse. He sees our sins as reasons to love. We seek to tremble. He seeks to comfort. We seek to hide. He seeks to heal. We see our failures as an end. He sees them as a beginning. God so loved us that he gave his one and only son that we would be forgiven. You may be thinking, yeah, well, that's great. I, I, I kind of believe that. I've been a Christian for a long time, but I've messed up. The issue is not right now. The issue is not what you've done. The issue is what do you want to do now? Yeah, I've been a terrible husband. Okay. What do you want to do now? I've been a horrible wife. Okay. What do you want to do now? I'm addicted to, to drugs, to food, to pornography. I, I, my life is a mess. I'm not an example. Okay. All right. What do you want to do now? God so loved you, he gave his son to forgive your past. That's now past. What do you want to do now? We always have the ability to get up and keep going toward the Father. To have our past addressed, forgiven, done. What do you want to do now? Not only is our past forgiven, but God so loved us that he gave his one and only son, that our present would be filled with his presence. I was reading somewhere that the greatest desire today in our culture that people are clamoring and craving for is the desire to be noticed. People are so afraid that they will be obscure, that people will not notice them. And so there's a lot of things. Obviously, you look at social media. Some of the things we talk about are due. I mean, it's like I've got to be noticed. People will take selfies over and over and over again just to get the right one to put it out there. Will somebody notice me? Am I important? Am I significant? I mean, in this country alone, there's 350 million people. I am one of 350 million. Who notices me? I want to be important. Look. People are famous. I want to be famous. Yeah, a very small handful out of 350 million become famous. And we crave that. And we want that. And our present is empty. Some people want to go into a, like a hero complex. They've got to do something just to get noticed. Others 
do things seeking, living, craving for someone to say thank you. You know, I love looking at the uh, um, special contribution videos of people thanking us, and I think that's good. But we don't do it to be thanked. Christians don't need to be thanked. We do it because God so loved us, what we've experienced. You don't have to thank us. We don't help the poor to get thanked, to get recognized. We don't treat our neighbors and help them out to be thanked or recognized. We don't open the Bible with people to be thanked or recognized. You know why? God notices you and me. Read throughout the Gospels. His notice was on the marginalized as well as the powerful. It didn't matter. Every single person created in God's image. God is creator. God doesn't have to narrow his focus. Now I finally see you. It is his nature to know. He is God. And he knows the hairs. And those of us with decreasing amount, he even sees a subtraction happening of the hairs on our head. He knows us intimately. His presence fills our present. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, my brothers and sisters in Staten Island and North Jersey know where I'm going to. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in us. But He isn't just there as a comfort, although He does comfort. He is there to transform us. It is Christ in us. He is the power to change our present right now. Now, What's he changing us? Into the image of Christ. That's the character of Christ. To be able to love perfectly. To be able to be courageous perfectly. To be patient perfectly. Now, we're not there overnight. It's a growing process. You plant a seed like a plant. It takes a little time. But it's growing. It's getting better. The Spirit of God lives in us because of God's love. He gave his Son so that his Son could come back and fill us with His presence. I want you to stop and listen to who you are. You may feel unnoticed. You may feel like, I, what do I have to contribute? You may feel like, does anybody care? The answer is absolutely. You need to stop. You need to open your mind and your heart to God and realize who is living in you. And these are just some of the things that you are. How you view yourself, this is who God has made you. You are forgiven, Ephesians 1, verse 7. You are his child, John 1, verse 12. You are free, Romans 8, verse 2. You are dearly loved, Colossians 3, verse 12. You are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. You are joint heir with Christ. Romans 8, verse 17. 
You are a citizen of heaven. Philippians 3, verse 20. You are set apart. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. You are lacking nothing. Philippians 4, verse 19. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. That's who you are. Not unnoticed, but that's just the beginning. We need to go back. We need to realize that when God gave Jesus to go to the cross, he did that to redeem, restore, and renew a relationship. God doesn't overlook sin, so he condemned sin on Jesus, our sin. We get to walk away, and now he's just busy transforming us. That is our present. Even during difficult times, we have the promise that in all things, Romans 8:28, God works for the good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That's our present filled with his presence. And then finally, for God so loved us that he gave his one and only son, that our future would be assured. You know, we all understand the idea of how important a future is. You know, that's the whole idea behind goals, right? Uh, you go to work. You have a job. You have a goal. I want to feed my family. I want to send my kids to college. I want to purchase a home. I want to, you know, whatever. You just don't, hey, I'm just going to go to work, but I'm aimless here. You Take care of yourself physically. Why? I want to improve my health. Or if you're an athlete, I want to compete. There's some reason, not just, you know, I just kind of love sweating. No. There's a reason, a goal. There's a future that is out there. How much more life? How much more with that? God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that your future would be assured. What's going to happen is more sure to happen than tomorrow. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body." Our citizenship is in heaven. That's not something we're waiting to do. That's right now. Right now. Because God's Spirit lives in us, there's a little bit of heaven now. We're tasting it. Now, we're not perfected yet. When Jesus comes back, then He will come back to judge. But all of those that belong to Him, the dead will rise the, those that are still alive will meet him, but we will all be transformed by his power into a body like his glorious body, perfected. The lessons I'm learning about how to love like Jesus now, I'm not perfect. I'm getting a little better. And how to be patient like Jesus, and courageous and secure and confident and all of these things, the character of Christ, that are a little bit now a taste, a little bit of that is going to be perfected when he comes back. You and I receive a resurrected body, and we will reign with Christ 
forever. That's what the scriptures say. That is more sure of happening than tomorrow. That is gives meaning to everything that I'm doing now. God's love. God so loved the world, so loved us, that he gave his one and only son, that our future would be assured. That being true, I can pretty much face anything. Any human being has been through some really rough times. I would like to tell you that, hey, we're through everything. You know, COVID-19, the very fact that there's a number, 19, it's not an encouraging thing, is it? Is there a COVID-20? Is there what's coming down? I mean, we never envisioned what had happened before. All of the strife, you know, just when you think progress is being made, all of a sudden, boom, and a lot more injustice and racism. Look at the conflicts around the world. Hey, the Cold War is over, but now we have terrorism that could do all sorts of that. And you're just saying, God, why don't you stop this? But you see, he is renewing all things. One person at a time. And so, while I await my assured future, I may go through some things. You know why? Because some people don't want to be renewed. Some people don't care. And so, they may inflict harm on me. They may pollute the environment, and that affects me. They may start wars. They may do all that. But you know what? It will not shake us if we take hold of the fact that God has already assured our uh, future. The early Christians went through incredible stuff. So, reality is, there's something coming. Meanwhile, I'm going to get busy and keep being transformed and be a part of that renewal. I'm going to care about my neighbors, my fellow man. I'm going to care about the poor. I'm going to take seeds of this life that I've experienced, this renewal, and give it to others. And maybe more people will join this renewal. But when the bad times happen, I want you to remember this. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. You know, the Apostle Paul went through quite a bit. If you were to read 2 Corinthians, um, things around chapter 11, you will see he'll list a lot of things that up to that point he'd been through. He'd been five times he received 39 lashes with a whip. Uh, three times he's beaten with rods. He's been stoned. That's with rocks. Um, he was shipwrecked. He was, you know, chased. All of this. Now think about that. Most people today, well, I want to become a Christian. I want my life to be easier. What happened? You see, the non-renewed part of creation is attacking the renewal. But I want you to listen to Paul's take on this. I want you to listen to the confidence. I want you to listen to somebody whose future is assured. In Romans 8, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What can death decay do to us? In the eternal perspective, we are okay. Our future is assured. Why is that? Because God so loved us. He gave his one and only son. 2,000 years ago, the night he was betrayed, Jesus was having a meal with his disciples. And he took some unleavened bread and took some fruit of the vine. And he says, this unleavened bread represents my body that will be given for you. And this fruit of the vine represents my blood that will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the disciples didn't really catch everything that was going on at that point. But three days later, they not only caught it, but the love of God overwhelmed them and took hold of their life to the very end. A small, simple act of remembrance. And yet, as we take this, There is a powerful and profound truth. The reason we do this is because God so loved us that he gave his one and only son. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for that love. We can't totally understand every aspect about it. But thank you for giving us a past that is forgiven a present that is full of your presence, and a future that is assured. You love us completely. You love us thoroughly. You love every aspect about us, and you take care of us. And it's because we know that, we see that, and we experience that in the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Thank you for this bread representing his body. Thank you for this fruit of the vine representing his blood. We give you the praise for all of this, Father. We thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name.